this morning I'm talking about an issue which is pastorally really important to every Christian, and that is the issue of how you hear God's voice. In my experience, many people, um, many Christians struggle to hear God's voice. So when I talk to young, Christ- young Christians especially, they say, the thing that's holding me back um, in my faith um, is that I just feel like God's silent. And, and part of our problem is that our particular subset of society is fairly well educated. And I think because we're educated, we're taught to, you know, be a little bit cynical and, and deconstruct experience and um, spiritual practice. Uh, we, t- we tend to be cynical, therefore, about hearing God speak. Uh, the comedian Lily Tomlin, who um, I know is Deborah Fitterer from West Wing. I don't know what you might know her from. Maybe Grace and Frankie. She's actually much more famous than all of those two things as a comedian. But she said, why is it that when we speak to God, we are said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we are said to be schizophrenic? Good point. I want to tell you that you can hear God's voice. Our God is a God who speaks. In fact, in the word in the Bible, uh, the words "God speaks" happens over seven hundred times. So He's a speaking God. But I do want to say, getting back to Lily Tomlin's point, uh, that many Christians go about hearing God's voice the wrong way, and often end up hearing some other voice. You might even be a person who says, "God told me." We heard Richard say that um, when he was sharing. I felt like God was saying this, my heart leapt. You know, there was this great sense of um, God speaking to him in his life. Um, This is what we want to be like, isn't it? This is every Christian's longing to have that kind of dialogue with God. But what do we mean by that um, when we say that? This is what we're looking at. How how do you know it's God? Um, How can you know? Is it a sound? Um, What language does he speak? Is he speaking in ancient Greek and Hebrew? Is is that how God speaks? Or is he speaking Australian? Does he sound like Morgan Freeman? Is that how it is? Well, I want to tell you two stories, and I need Matt on the drums. So uh, here we go. Um, Transport yourself. We're in now um, a a cafe in New York in 1965 now. So... um, I feel like saying that thing that Michael J. Fox says in Back to the Future, you know, just keep up with the... What does he say? What's that phrase? Anyway, keep up. We're in B. Go with the changes. Yeah, that's it. I want to tell you two stories about two characters from the Bible who heard God's voice audibly. In Exodus 3, we see Moses, exiled from the court of Egypt, living on the far side of the desert, shepherding his father-in-law's flocks. One night... He came to to the mountain of God called Horeb. Moses was shepherding his flock on the side of the mountain and looked up and saw a bush on fire. It wasn't being consumed by the fire. It just was. Now when Moses turned aside to look at the bush, he heard God's voice from within it saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Moses, do not come any closer, God said. 
take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God tells Moses he has heard the cry of his people and has come down to set them free, and he's sending Moses to be their leader. For the entirety of the chapter four of chapter four of Exodus, Moses argues with God, trying to convince him that he's the wrong man for the job. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't pay attention to me? God says, I will be with you, says God. Then Moses says, But I'm not an eloquent man. I never have been. I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Then Moses said, Oh Lord, please send someone else, anyone else. And God said, No, you go. And you go because I have sent you, not because you are the most qualified, but because I am God. Let's go to another story. The prophet Elijah is on the run. This is 1 Kings chapter 19. Fleeing Israel because there is a death threat out against him. As he runs for his life, he says, God, I've had enough. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words, I'm as good as dead, he's saying. When Elijah gets to Mount Horeb, he goes up into a cave to spend the night. And all of a sudden, God speaks to Elijah. Why are you here, Elijah? He answered, I've been absolutely loyal to you. God, I've, even though the Israelites have abandoned the agreement they made with you, I'm the only faithful one left. I'm a failed prophet. My life is worthless. And God said, go out and stand outside. I'm going to pass by. Then a powerful wind went before the Lord, digging into the mountain, causing landslides. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the storm, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After that, there was a great fire burning, scorching everything. But God was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he covered his face with his robe and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Elijah, why are you here? Go back the way you came. Go to my people. Let's put your hands together for a man. Do a little drums. That was cool. I enjoyed that. Now, notice uh, that God met with Moses and Elijah in a place that they did not expect. So they were just sort of, you know, doing their thing, running, shepherding, and, and speaking to them in a way they did not expect. And he called them to do something that they didn't really want to do either. 
he called them to do a really extraordinary thing way beyond they thought their capacity was to serve him, to serve the people of God. And when we think about what it means to hear God's voice, well, we don't necessarily have in mind what Moses and Elijah experienced, do, do we? we? We don't necessarily, we're not longing to have God call us to do something like what Moses had to do or Elijah had to do. Rather, what most of us want when we say that we want to hear God's voice is that we, when we're lying in bed at night and we're closing our eyes and praying or maybe driving our car to something and we say a quick prayer, we're hoping that God will go, go and ask Sally on a date now, quick, before Phil asks her. You know, or hand in your resignation to your boss. Buy a ticket to New York and launch your music career. You are going to be famous. That's what we're hoping. God's going to just say something really cool that makes us really excited. And what often happens is when we say we want to hear God's voice, what, we, what we're really saying is we want God, God's will to line up with our will, to what we already want to do. For some, some of the rest of us, it's not so much that we want God to affirm what we want, what we want to do, but at the least we want to have a lightning bolt experience of some kind. We hope for an experience that overwhelms us, like Moses and Elijah did. So when we read the Bible, we speak, see God speaking over and over again like he did with Elijah and Moses and see lots of other examples. And so shouldn't we expect God to do the same thing today? Well, we need to do some maths on this. While God does talk a lot in the Old Testament, I think there was over, over 700 times referred to in the Bible, this is over thousands of years Millions of people are attached to these stories. Um, and so the vast majority of people, 99.999%, that's not an official statistic, I just made that up. But most people don't actually hear God speak like this. They don't have these mountaintop experiences. Even the high priest who had the privilege, there was only one who could go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, even they often didn't come out with anything. Actually, hearing God's voice was so special and important that if you did say God told me in Bible times, people assumed you were a prophet. Well, they assumed you were claiming to be a prophet at the least. And so you would be tested for this. Your prophetic message had to line up with the scriptures and and God's character, and if you made predictions that they would be tested to see if it came true, and if it didn't happen, then you could be stoned to death as a false prophet. So saying God told me in Bible times is a very risky thing to say. And so God is very careful and deliberate on who he chooses to be his prophets. He picks certain people, and later on, the apostles, certain people to speak to certain people at a certain time. And now we have all of those words, words from God that came through people, collected it in one place, um, which is the Bible. The words not only of the prophets, but of Jesus, the Son of God, who speaks the words of God. And he is the personification of the word of God. He's called, one of his names is the word. 
and also the apostles who God chose to be the, the foundation of the church. It's all collected in one place, the Bible. But for some reason, this doesn't seem to be enough for, for us. We feel like the Bible feels a bit disconnected from our lives. It feels like hard work. We're used to Googling an answer and quickly question and quickly getting an answer. You know, you're out for coffee and you're going, you know, what was that movie that that person was in? And you just uh, answer, you know, and we want to have an app, a God app that does that. We want the still small voice, the transcendent experience instantly. We want more emotion than actually the Bible is offering. We want God's voice directly like a telephone going into our brains Like we want to have the privilege of the prophets, but without the responsibility of the prophets. Because we don't actually want to have to go into Preston and into Brunswick and tell people to repent of their sins. Um, You know, and to put sackcloth and ashes on like the prophets had to. And one of the reasons we do this is because we're part of a feelings culture. We are Christians, but we are, in a sense, imitating the spiritual but not religious kind of people in our community people who describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. Alan, uh, there's a, a guy called Alan Miller who's the director of the, um, the New York Salon, which is um, an organisation made up of intellectuals and artists and poets and academics and public personalities, and they get together for these forums to have these public lectures in, in New York. And he wrote this um, article in the CNN belief blog called I'm Spiritual But Not Religious, and he's questioning that concept. And he says... Those in the spiritual but not religious camp are peddling the notion that by being independent, by choosing an individual relationship to some concept of higher power or an energy or a oneness or something or other, they are in a deeper, more profound relationship than one that is coerced via a large institution like a church. That's their claim because it's, in, because it's their own, because they're with a kind of a separate separate from an institution, that it's more profound. And then he says, that attitude fits with the message we are receiving more and more that feeling something somehow is more pure and perhaps more true than having to fit it in with the doctrine, practices, rules and observations of a formal institution that are handed down to us. So subjective, personal truth, it seems in our culture to be greater than the objective truth. Feeling for our culture it seems to be more true than what is given to us. But see, the thing is, subjective truth should always be subject to objective truth. Facts should define our emotions, not the other way around. So you might have had experiences that are mysterious, supernatural, perhaps even miraculous, and I have had those kind of experiences where um, I'll mention some later, but you know, where uh, I feel like God is speaking to me in a profound way. And I don't want to say that those experiences are not real, but I do want to test them. How do you know it's God speaking and not your own head, you know, coming up with some idea? And the first thing you can do is measure your experience with the Bible. If your experience brings you into conflict with the Bible, then... You are not talking to God. I have a friend who was a teacher in a school in the country 
And there was another teacher in this school who belonged to like what you'd call a kind of a Christian sect. You could probably just say, let's just say it's a cult because I think it was. And um, this other teacher told my friend that God had given him a message that his wife, this person's, my friend's wife, would die in a car crash. Now, that kind of vision from God does not line up with the kind of God we know in the Bible. It doesn't line up with the character of God. That's what you call spiritual abuse and also quite scary. Um, and this teacher actually did end up getting the sack. Um, not just because of that, but for other things. Once for another example, once I thought God was telling me that um, I would marry this girl at uni. Well, she's now married to someone else. And uh, I was very upset about that. So obviously it wasn't God telling me that I'd be, because either God's wrong or God didn't have his way or... Anyway, my dad pointed out to me that nowhere in Scripture does God promise to tell us who we would marry. And I was like, oh, yeah. And so it was a good learning experience for me. Now, if you think the voice in your head is God speaking, but what you are hearing contradicts the Bible, then you need to ask yourself, why is God so in line with your will and not in line with his word? And when we think about communicating with God, we, we assume it must make us feel good. And this has got a name. It's called therapeutic deism, that God makes me personally feel good. This is not Christianity. Christianity, now God might, might make you feel good, but this is not the purpose of his, <laughs> that's not the, his purpose, and that's not his purpose in speaking to us. Christianity says that actually we are sinful and our inclination is always towards making idols and bowing down to them. And so God, being a good and holy father to his children, sometimes has to correct us and actually push us in a different direction and say no to us. And let's thank God for that. I mean, I'm glad I didn't marry that girl at uni because I got to marry Joe. And, you know, that's just how life turned out. Sometimes God wants to challenge us to do something we don't expect. He, he can see the future and we can't. We have to learn to distinguish between God's voice and our desires. If the Bible doesn't give us the feelings we want, is that the Bible's fault or is that our own? So God promises, God never promises to give us these kind of personal revelations. He might, but he doesn't promise. So what we need to do is we need to direct all of our energy if we want to hear God's voice towards the Bible. And how do we seek God's voice in the Bible? How do we find out the answers to those questions of life we have? What job to do? What career to have? How to spend our money? What to do about our relationships? Well, our reading from Romans 12 says this. Um, go to verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will so let's just look at that stated negatively then spiritual worship looking at verse one as well involves a refusal to be conformed or guided by this age paul is saying then those who truly worship god spiritually resist the pressure to conform let's just look at verse one again i urge you brothers and sisters in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. 
Paul urges the Christians in Rome to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. They are to be transformed. He doesn't say, say transform your own mind. So, you know, using the, is it the passive? I think it is, yeah. Um, this suggests that both the transformation is caused by God as well as something we do in partnership with him. We have to cooperate. In the case of 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, Paul says that we are progressively transformed into the likeness of Christ because the veil over our minds has been removed, enabling us to see the glory of Christ in the scriptures. So in one sense, we get a more profound, get this, we get a more profound and full experience of God's voice in the Bible than what Moses and Elijah had who had to cover their faces, who had to hide and to do this, you know, put a veil, with a veil over their face. Your mind what Paul's referring to, it's your intellect, it's your attitude, it's, your resu- it's the result of your thinking. Paul's command is that the Roman Christian's way of thinking should not be influenced by the world's way of thinking, but rather be, be transformed by the renewal of their minds. And by renewal, he seems to mean, uh, based on the wider context of, this, of the book of Romans, that believers are to allow their way of thinking to be renewed by the Spirit of God in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus as it is revealed to us. This will mean that the reversal of the effects of the fall in the Garden of Eden that resulted in human beings being handed over by God to a depraved mind. It's the reversal of what happened then. So in Ephesians 4, uh, also Paul tells the Christians in Ephesus, be made new in the attitude of your minds in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So if you combine all this teaching, Paul has it, he talks about this all the time, it seems, uh, in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, in Romans 12, um, in Ephesians 4, about believers being transformed as the veil is lifted from our minds to see the glory of Christ in the Scriptures. We, might, we can conclude that Paul understands the renewal of the mind to take place as people encountered and embraced the teaching in the Bible, in the Scriptures. And the purpose of this renewal, he says in, the, in, the pas- in our passage, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You will have divinely inspired discretion in testing and approving people's behaviour and attitudes. You'll be able to test and approve whether a prophecy is true or not. Uh, when you are involved in group decision-making, weighing alternatives for the church, your renewed mind given to you by Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the reading of the Scriptures, will give you godly discernment. When you have disputes in the community, in our church, your renewed mind will help you resolve the disputes. You'll have a new capacity to work together in your mission you will be able to test and prove, approve what God's will is. So Paul speaks often about God's will, hearing God's will, discerning God's will. And he understands that it is only by the will of God that he is able to fulfill his plans, he says. And he specifies certain actions of believers that are according to the will of God. He says, um, generous giving 
is according to the will of God. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5. The obedience of slaves to their masters. Ephesians 6 verse 6. The avoidance of sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. And giving thanks to God in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18. This is all the actions of the believers according to the will of God. So Paul's point here in Romans 12 verse 2 appears to be that the renewing of the mind by being exposed to and embracing the teaching of the scriptures will enable believers to test for themselves and approve what God expects of them. The renewal of our mind should lead us to obedience. So we can think about Jesus. Think about this. The union that he had with God the Father was the greatest kind of union that we can ever conceive of. So profound. Trinitarian union. But there's not even an indication that even Jesus was constantly filled with revelations as what he should do in a day-to-day basis. His union with God was so great that he was always obedient. uh, And this obedience was something that rested in his mature will, his understanding of his life before God. Not always being told, now do this, now do that, with regard to everything, all the details in his life or work. The will of God is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It is self-evident that the will of God is both good and perfect, isn't it? But in a sense, and to whom is it pleasing? It is pleasing to God. So therefore, what we can conclude from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, is that he's using it in this sense here also. He's saying to be transformed by the renewing of their minds so that we may practice what is good, perfect, and pleasing to God. So let's step back again. How do you hear God's voice? What's Peter actually saying? At the least, the first place you go to is you begin with the Bible. If you want to seek out God's will, his voice, you begin there. Dallas Willard writes in his book, Hearing God, Developing a Conversational Relationship with God. He says this, It cannot be stressed too much that the permanent address at which the word of God may be found is the Bible. Now, I know, because I I know you guys and I know lots of my friends are Christians, that um, perhaps one of the reasons you don't hear God's voice is that really you don't know what's in the Bible. Many, many adult Christians don't really know the Bible. And perhaps this is you and don't feel like ashamed, but I want to challenge you to make a change in your life. Uh, You know, you might have gone for decades going to church and you still find yourself continually realising that you have no idea what sort of lands between kind of, you know, Adam and Eve and then, oh yeah, isn't there a bit of Abraham? And then suddenly you get to, oh, isn't there Joseph? And then, but there's just like large sections of the scriptures. You have no idea what's in there. And so there are things you can do about this. I encourage you to treat your Bible knowledge as a high priority, not just so that you can be a Bible nerd, but so you can hear God's voice. Um, So something that I've got to know from knowing Richard is he is a guy who knows his Bible. Let's just, I I, I can guarantee you ask him a Bible question, he'll know the answer. Like he just, he just soak, it soaks in his brain. Um, And so if you, so that's why I think he can say God told me because he's a guy that actually has the scriptures in there. So, uh, you know, it's floating in his brain because he spends so much of his life, you know, reading it and, and studying it, um, you know, as a Christian, as a teacher. Um, and, uh, and so he can discern when thoughts are not from God and, 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 are, and from his own brain. 
um, you can be like this too. Perhaps you could consider giving yourself a Bible booster. You could make more of an effort going to some of the Bible teaching conferences, like I think we advertised earlier in the year, the CMS Summer Under the Sun Camp, or there's, if you're at uni, there's Christian Union Camps. There's lots of conferences throughout the year. Um, there's Surrender this weekend, uh, Joe mentioned, um, with this Bible teaching. Maybe you could enrol yourself in a course. I know that um, people, friends of mine who've never studied the Bible, who enrol in one subject, you can do them at Ridley. You can do a, an introduction to the Old Testament or an introduction to the New Testament. You don't even have to go to class. You can do it online. And the videos are really, really good. Like they, they come up on the screen and, you know, it's like you've got a lecture, but it's sort of there and, um, and it's, it's properly filmed. It's not just like a bad, you know, camera at the back of the lecture theatre. So you could do that, and I guarantee you, if you did, especially intro to the Old Testament, because most of us know least least about the Old Testament, um, a whole lot of dots will be joined together, and you will start to get excited about the Word of God, and that's all going to play into this whole thing of how do you hear God's voice. This year, with our new staffing structure, one of the things I hope to be free to be able to do personally, is to offer some evening courses throughout the year in different Bible and theology and topics. Um, it could be teaching or, or it could be me teaching, could be other people teaching. Secondly, with this issue of going to the Bible, I know that for many of us the issue is actually that we're impatient. So I think maybe we don't hear God's voice because we actually just want it instantaneously. On camp, we did a Lectio Divina, which is a method of reading the scriptures really slowly. You pray, you read, you pray, you read, you pray, you read. You write things down. You try and circle words in the, in the Bible that are standing out to you. You pray and you ask God. And this might go on for half an hour that you do this, um, or even longer, an hour. And I was you know, interested how many people on camp actually were able to write things that they thought God had for them from that passage. That was just, you know, two weeks ago, whenever it was. The Word of God should marinate in our minds. It should leak into every corner and bring transformation and renewal. So pray and ask God, should I resign my job and go to New York to begin a music career? Pray. What does the Bible say? Is your request simply a fantasy, not based in reality? Is it a big ego trip? Is your request sinful? Or maybe it's not at all. Maybe it's totally fine that you're asking that question and maybe you should. And if you don't get a clear answer from the Bible, whether it's, sin, you know, whether, whether it's sinful or righteous, like that example that I just gave, there's another step that you can take. And the next step is wisdom. That's where we use wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 says that, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. You must pray and ask God for wisdom and also go, more importantly, to the wisdom of the community, the church community. Seek out older, wiser people, mentors, Christian friends, more, people more experienced than you. And don't just seek out the wisdom of foolish people who are going to affirm your foolishness. It's the old trick. And I think there are people also with a kind of a prophetic gift. I don't mean that they are prophets like Moses and Elijah. The Bible does, in the New Testament, does talk about this gift of prophecy. Uh, what I mean is that they have an insight into the scriptures that is so profound, but also into other human beings and into church community and possibly even into culture and society. Um, 
maybe they've given a, God's given them a great gift of emotional intelligence as well and humility, that they are able to bring all those things together that when they speak into your life, it is profound. And, and it's close to being, you know, some wisdom that you can really cherish and go, yep, that sounds like God is speaking through this person to me. Last year when I took some time off when I was sick, I had several people who were prayerful and wise tell me independently while I was struggling that God loved me and that in fact they had a sense from God that he was doing something in me to set me up for a new fresh season of ministry. Now this came from five separate people who didn't know each other. And, you know, that is the wisdom of the church of prayerful um, people who have their minds soaked in the scriptures encouraging me. The process of planting Mary Creek involved seeking out God in his word and through the wisdom of others, we prayed and, uh, you know, as I was going through a leadership discernment process, I met with um, a Christian uh, uh, guy who was also a career counsellor and there was a discernment process there and he came to the conclusion that, yeah, I reckon church planning could be a great option for you. Um, we sought out the wisdom of other leaders in the church, local, local ministers, local pastors, where should we plant? How should we plant? And I, you know, think that together all these things worked as we saw in the scriptures that, yes, it is a good thing to start new churches and God is affirming this. And then we found this venue. All the things work together and as we get a sense, yeah, God is speaking to us and he's saying, go, this is great. And he's affirming the whole venture. So to finish, God has spoken by his prophets and revealed himself perfectly in Jesus and, and he has spoken through the apostles in the Bible. God has given you his church, the body of Christ, filled with people who can help you discern God's voice. So why don't you ask God to open your ears? That's a prayer that's used in the Bible. You know, pray that your ears will be open, your hearts will be open too, so that he can speak to you. Take your time with the scriptures. Go slowly. Surround yourself with wise people and start hearing from God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you care about us, that you speak to us and uh, that even right now you're probably speaking to a few people in the room and we pray that if people are being challenged and prompted to, to make a change in their life, maybe it's um, soaking themselves more in the scriptures and being a bit more proactive about um, knowing what's in the Bible, whatever it is, pray that you can you can prompt them by your spirit you can push them over the line and that this can all happen pray that we can be a church that hears your voice amen